African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining once again. It's a new day. Thank you for joining us here on the 12th of August, 2015. This is uh, African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushata. I remember you listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, it's on Channel 902. Well, on the program today, we keep with this uh, acknowledgement of uh, Women's Month, this month of August. Today, we really look at the attention on challenges on the continent faced with women in regards to marriages. Um, there's a lot of issues around the continent when it comes to uh, marriage. We know that the Ugandan Supreme Court has ruled that the tradition of paying for a bride can continue. So we'll look at those kind of issues today on our program. But hey, we've got Onel and Sinti standing by to give us our news. Thank you, Benjamin. Looking at your headlines, Chair's President Idris Deby declares efforts to combat neighboring Nigeria's Boko Haram jihadists have succeeded. Libya's internationally recognized government, Abdullah Al-Tani, announces his resignation and Zambian opposition gets a key defense ministry. With your latest news, a very good morning. I am Onilin Tsinsi. Chad's President Idris Deby declared on Tuesday that efforts to combat neighboring Nigeria's Boko Haram jihadists have succeeded in incapacitating the group. Addressing reporters in the capital's Jamena on the 55th anniversary of Chad's independence from France, Deby said with the setting up of the regional force, the war will be short and over by the end of the year. Deby further claimed that Boko Haram was no longer led by the fearsome Abu Bakr Shekau and that his successor was open for talks. Meanwhile, a blast in northeastern Nigeria's Bonus State has killed about 50 people and injured more than 52. A regional army of over 8,000 troops from five nations was supposed to be deployed in November, but has been delayed. Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari, who was inaugurated at the end of May, has pledged the force would be active by the end of July. Delays have been blamed on funding and uneasy relations between Nigeria and its neighbors. Voice of Nigeria's Ben gives us an update. Today is also uh, adopting what you call the carrot and approach. The stick approach is the, the, the military option. And if uh, Boko Haram is ready, of course, they do some talks. 
And as we are hearing now, uh, some elements are coming out to say they want to surrender. Some are rejecting our in Boko Haram. They want to speak with uh, with, uh, with the Nigerian authorities. Uh, so outside that, I mean, uh, some other countries, Niger, Chad, Cameroon, and even Benin Republic, they all are contributing uh, troops under the Chad uh, Basin Commission. And uh, so they're saying that all these areas cordon off, uh, I mean, route the, 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 the terrorists. The Prime Minister of Libya's internationally recognized government, Abdullah Al-Tani, announced his resignation in a surprise move live on television on Tuesday. This just hours after peace talks between the country's rival factions restarted. The Prime Minister, who escaped an assassination attempt in May when gunmen opened fire on his car after a parliament meeting, was also hit with accusations of corruption against his government in the television interview. Zambian President Edgar Lungu has appointed an opposition lawmaker to the powerful job of Defense Minister. Ritual Siamunene is a member of the opposition United Party for National Development, whose leader Hakainde Hilichelema lost to Lungu in the presidential elections in January. On assuming office, Lungu roped in several opposition members into his cabinet. Lungu came to power in January after the death of President Michael Sata in October last year. And finally, United Nations Secretary General has called on young people across the globe to demand and foster dramatic progress. Ban Ki-moon says as world leaders prepare to adopt a bold new vision for sustainable development in September, the engagement of youth is more valuable than ever. Wednesday marks the third International Day of Youth. Maria Carlino has more. Young people are proving to be invaluable partners in creating a future where the planet is protected and all people live in dignity, according to the UN chief. In a message Wednesday on International Youth Day, he said young people are contributing fresh ideas and organizing through social media. Mr. Bond applauded youth for speaking out against injustice and supported their call for steps to ensure human rights, economic progress, and protection of the environment. This year marks the third International Day of Youth and the 20th anniversary of the UN's World Program of Action for Youth. Now recapping on your top stories, Chad's President Idris Deby declares efforts to combat neighboring Nigeria's Boko Haram jihadists have succeeded. Libya's internationally recognized government, Abdullah al-Tani, announces his resignation and Zambian opposition gets key defense ministry. Channel African News, I'm Onilintinsi. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And uh, thank you for listening to us here on our frequency 965 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za on DSTV. Thank you for joining us there as well on that uh, uh, radio bouquet on, on Channel 902. Now, the Uganda Supreme Court ruled that the tradition 
manner of paying for a bride can continue. The judges in the country decided that the custom of her husband giving cows, land or money in return for a wife was not unconstitutional. However, the court ruled that the practice of refunding the bride price when a marriage breaks down should be banned. And activists have argued that refund infringed a woman's right to get divorced. But there are other areas, child marriages that we can speak of in the continent of Africa that are also part of African culture. We also know that uh, also uh, uh, dairy is also another thing. We also know that polygamy is a a huge uh, phenomenon on the continent of Africa. So we're going to just speak about uh, women issues regarding marriages. Are we finding ourselves where we have a friction between modernity and traditionalism? But hey, we've got some guests to give us some insight on that regard. We've got Professor Tom Sengani, who's the Associate Professor in Discourse Analysis at UNISA. also have Tulufe Losasanga, who is a Community Interventions Manager at the Center of the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. And joining back, us back again on our program, we've got Advocate Sabelo Sibando, who's founder of the School of African Awareness and Ama Africa Akoto. But let me start this conversation with you, um, Advocate Sabelo Sibando, in terms of um, uh, the idea of marriage on in, in Africa. Do you think that uh, we've actually transformed from our traditional forms of marriage? We were talking just about uh, child marriage and also arranged marriages and uh, practices such as lobola. What are your thoughts about the transitions of uh, marriage in modern society on the continent? Uh, thank you very much, my brother. Um, I think the starting point really is understanding that within an African context, marriage is sacred and has always been deemed to be sacred because um, it's perceived from an angle where it solidifies relationships and it enriches communities and definitely enriches nations as well. And um, the issue, really, is that um, there is a massive assault on African culture in many different ways. And um, colonization impacted negatively on African culture. And one of the institutions that suffered is the institution surrounding issues of marriage. And um, I think amongst the things that we need to look at and contextualize properly is, um, I'll start it with an African proverb which basically says, don't tear down a fence until you know why it was put up. So you find that there is um, this clash that you talk about between um, culture and modernity, and the clash is um, proving to, in many ways, seek to suppress the issue of um, African culture. I'll start with um, the child marriages that you talk about. More particularly, I think you're making this with reference to 
ukuthwala child marriage is definitely something that cannot be supported and the whole aspect of culture is that culture must evolve if it has to evolve but within the confines of the people themselves as against um, being impacted upon by a foreign culture and therefore being considered to be something archaic because something from outside has come into the picture. So I find that it's important for us to respect our cultural ways and cultural norms. Um, something like Utwala, for instance, is something which was there, not just within the Nguni people, but it's also evident in other African cultures. But in its proper sense, Ugutwala was a fake abduction, basically, mm. whereby um, the woman consented with the man. And in many cases, it was done for purposes of pressuring the woman's family into accepting this relationship that um, existed between the man and the woman. It was not what we are seeing today in the form of young women being abducted and raped and taken mm. advantage of. It was more in line with what in Western culture is um, referred to as elopement. That is why now you find that um, what the white people have done is um, package elopement in such a fancy manner that can even have an elopement package. Mm. So you see that um, the way it it was done is that there would be no violence visited upon the woman who had been taken. And this only happened to women of marriageable age. It's um, recently that it has come to a point now where people are actually abusing the culture. Whereas with customary law, Mm. it was forbidden to have intercourse before all the marriage formalities had been gotten into. Well, Sabela, I'm going to cut... Sabel, I'm going to cut you off there. I just want to hear the views of our other guests. And I think that you've created a solid foundation in terms of some of the practices and also the historical kind of um, uh, relevance and how they actually fit into the cultural significance of where we come from as uh, as as practicing these particular cultures and traditions. Professor Tom Singani, thank you for joining us on our program. Um, Professor, in terms of, of your views in there, is there a, a huge friction between modern life and our uh, traditional cultures, especially when it comes to the theme of marriage? Um, I am in the Department of African Languages at UNISA. Um, the issue, I agree with Sabelo. The issue is that, you see, when the colonial powers came to Africa, 
they introduced um, Western civilization. Africans had a civilization. It doesn't mean that you know civilization came with 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 uh, with the people from the West, mm. and uh, they took a bigger chunk um, when they started, you know, education, mm. and did not replace uh, that within communities. And again, the church did the same. Uh, hence, you would find that when you go to church, you go to school. It's, it's another world different from, you know, where you come from. What we should have done, because indeed there are frictions, is to integrate uh, African knowledge systems with the church and again with the schools. Uh, because these very issues like child marriages and, 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 and stuff, uh, in fact, people are outraged because it's sort of um, a new phenomenon I agree with Sabelo that uh, these used to take place when girls were grown up and uh, they were about to get married. And um, But maybe we should uh, look for a solution here. What we need to do, because uh, the people who get involved in these things, in most cases, maybe they don't even listen to the radio. They don't sometimes have time for TV. We, we need to go into both rural and um, urban areas, speak to leaders of the people, uh, Mahosi, Mahoshi, and the like, and um, organize seminars and workshops and interact with them. And again, we need to take with us people who are prepared to do research so that in the process of interacting with the people, we should identify the problem and come up with a solution. Mm. Well, also, the, the, let's look at that particular element that you both highlighting, um, Sabelo and uh, Professor uh, Sengani. Maybe I should move to you, uh, Tulufelo, because maybe this is an area where you can intervene. Most of these things are very much intertwined with uh, violence and a lot of uh, suppression of, of women rights. Sometimes the way uh, we actually partake in these particular activities, actually uh, we see a violation of women's rights. And Sulfello, you work at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Um, let's talk about that particular element, especially when it comes to uh, arranged marriages or Ugutwala and those kind of uh, practices. How does, uh, where is the link between violence and these particular practices uh, coming together there? Yeah, um, I, I want to also agree with... Um with uh, Advocate uh, Sabelo and Professor Singani mm. to say that, uh, I mean, culture, I mean, I feel like we need to be very cognizant of our culture and not almost like demonize our culture, mm. Mm. but to also look at aspects that uh, are helpful and, and look at how things have evolved over time. Like, for instance, the, the Ugutwana practice, uh, marriage by ad- adoption, it was actually something that was, people who were con- who, who, who had considered and realized that the other one cannot possibly afford to marry the other and it was something that they had both agreed mm. and this is how it is not it is not how it is practiced presently so I also agree with what the professor was saying that for us to also uh, get ways we also need to bring uh, custodians of such cultural practices like your Jokosi, Ngozi, Madunas and all that mm. into the picture also. 
Um, I think we also need to be cognizant that uh, as long as whatever happens or whatever this cultural marriage does not infringe on the on the human rights or the dignity of a woman, then it's an issue. I mean, if we are to look at issues of, of child marriage, it's a big issue, it's a big challenge that we are, we are faced with in Africa. I mean, if we are to look at the report that was done with uh, the, the Girl Not Brides organization, it says it's an estimate of 4 million ga- girls that are aged under 18 that are married worldwide every, every mm. in, in developing countries mm. before they are even 15. I think that is something that we really need to look at. And it's something that we really need to look at the consequences of it because then it means that people that are then married off are, are, are girls that come from a very impoverished uh, conditions mm. and they tend to remain in poverty if they are also married off. And for families, for them, it, they look as, it's one less mouth to feed, it's mm. one less thing to think about if we marry them off. So these are things that we really need to challenge, that in as much as there are good things that are culturally sound, that makes a lot of sense, but we need to look at it if it really uh, 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 discredit or discriminate against young girls and women. Hmm. But also, in terms of uh, us understanding that uh, some of these practices violate women's rights, do you think that we've gotten to that point where we understand that, Sulafel? Um, I think it's because it's, it's, it's forever evolving, you know, so we need to keep on being on our toes, like the professor has said, that we need to have proper research that is it, that's put in place. But, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break. What are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, traditional marriages are still relevant in contemporary Africa? I want to hear your thoughts. We're following up on the story of the Ugandan Supreme Court that ruled that the tradition of paying for a bride can continue and that it's not unconstitutional. Let us, let us know your thoughts. Do you think that, uh, hey, the idea of the traditional marriages is still relevant today? Plus 27 is our SMS number. Plus 27 Just joined us. We've got Professor Tom Sengan, who is the Associate Professor in Discourse Analysis from the Africa Languages Department at UNISA. We also have Tulufelo Sisanga, who is the Community Interventions Manager at the Center of the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Uh, Advocate Sabelo Sibanda is also joining us on our program today to really look at this particular issue. He is also the founder of the School of African Awareness and Ama Africa Koto. We'll continue this conversation after this break. Welcome to Africa Midday. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. Bonjour à tous, merci encore une fois d'être sur Channel Africa. Channel Africa. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Hey, do you think that, uh, hey, 
these traditional marriages are still relevant today in contemporary Africa. Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. I don't know. Uh, they were speaking about paying for a bride. There. I know in South Africa that it is called uh, uh, lobola, and I know that uh, I've been having a conversation with with people just generally and looking at just how 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 um, how big the amount is that you have to pay in contemporary life. It's almost like you give your life savings away to the other family and I know that uh, in, in in traditional times uh, the the family of the, the the male would not give their entire kraal to the other family they'll give like two two cows or so to represent something in the other kraal but today we having a system whereby we actually have to give 10 cows to a particular family and you're left with nothing in your own family so we're also seeing how material is also coming into the fold in contemporary culture and also kind of bending what these particular traditional uh, practices mean in the past. Let's come back to that issue of uh, lobola and paying dowry and paying for a bride with you, Advocate Zabalusi Banda. Uh, when you look at contemporary society, it seems like materialism has come into also this facet and uh, um, men are expected to pay large amounts of money that they themselves don't even have. But the symbolism of it has almost faded away what that particular dowry or that lobola or paying for a bride means. I think um, the most important starting point here is interpretation of terms. We need to engage upon a process that some of us call relanguaging. I'm happy that um, Professor Ntsingane is in the Department of Languages and is also talking about research. I think he'll be a very important person in um, this regard. Mm. You see, you call it right price. Who calls it by right price? Who gave it the name right price? Mm. Because according to our African cultures, it was not a price per se. Because once you attach the concept of price, it means you are buying. Mm. And that's one of the things that then gives some men justification to abuse women. Because the idea is that if I buy a piece of furniture, I have a right to do whatever I want with it. I can jump on it, I can cut it up, I can set it on fire, I can do whatever. But the whole idea of referring to it as bright price is a Western interpretation of an institution that they did not understand. The whole idea of Lobola was basically for consolidating a relationship mm. between the family of whom and the family of the bride. It had nothing to do with buying. That is why it was more of a um, token and it was more of um, symbolic of what it represented. Now, yes, it has become materialistic because it has um, been associated with um, acquiring something to a point where you hear people tell you if she is a university graduate, then she is worth more than yes, someone yes. who went as far as metric. Mm. Therefore, um, one on to metric is worth more than someone from the rural areas who has never been exposed 
to um, Western education. Mm. And that has totally distorted the whole thing. And when we have to address issues of violence against women in marriages within an African context, we need to go back there. We need to find our own interpretation of what Lobola meant and what it means and what it should continue to mean. By referring um, to it as bright price, we are totally distorting it. It's almost like um, referring to the human trafficking of our ancestors through enslavement as the slave trade. Mm. Because once you call it a trade, you are therefore commodifying it. Mm. And once you call it bright price, you are therefore commodifying the woman. And the woman is not a commodity. Mm. A woman is an essential part of um, the human family. Mm. Just as much as you find that in our African community, a man would be complete until they are married. And in a men's gathering with elders in the community setting, the man who's not married is considered a boy. And no one would listen to that person because they are incomplete. Mm. So we need to revisit these things and see how exactly other people's conceptualizations of our institutions have even impacted upon how we begin to see these institutions. We are the ones who are now distorting our own culture because we have interpreted it according to how someone chose to interpret it. Mm, well, and definitely the mm. Uganda Supreme Court is correct. Mm. Loboda has nothing to do with price and should not be abolished. Mm. It should be allowed within the confines of how exactly it was intended to be. This is why I introduced the whole thing uh, about um, the importance of understanding why fences were put up before you even want to tear it down. Mm. So we have to go back and understand why there was Lobola in the first place. Well, also, I want to explore this thing that you highlighted, the whole idea of objectifying women where uh, modern practices that we use have been transformed into where women are act, uh, objectified either as the price or the object to win. And also that kind of dents the sacredness of our traditions and what they actually really mean. So, what does that do in a society where women are constantly objectified, especially... And, and, and that objectification comes into our cultures. It becomes a norm in our traditions. I'm sure that's not a healthy environment to see women in and actually them taking that particular role when they're supposed to be taking a different role. Uh, and, and that's what we're finding in our societies today. I mean, I agree that really uh, uh, sometimes the pain of Lobola and some of the sentiments that are attached to it uh, objectify women and reduces the status of women to just be like, you know, things, another position, another thing that you've just acquired. I think this also becomes some of the things that men, like uh, 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 the advocate had said, that then men use as power against women or then say, I can abuse this thing because I've just bought bought it. But I I feel like there's a a need for a... For a deeper thing, you know, I think one of the things that has been something that uh, that has been a, a downfall for some of our cultural practices is that they were never written down. Mm. So whoever mm. comes can mm. 
bring up something new or can uh, mm. then uh, uh, change what was there or then the meaning changes or evolves over time. Um, I think there's a need for us to go back and somehow kind of like write some of these practices mm. down. Why mm. were they made? Were they really seen as this? Because Lobola really was about bringing families together, mm. but it's not what it does at the moment. And I think we need to be to be at a point as a people where we are able to say if this is not working anymore then it's not working because it's reduced to something that it was never was mm. so that women come we are living in a in a, in a, in a society where women are, 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 we need to empower women we need to make sure that women come to the same level as men that they're able to 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 participate in society just as men do Mm. Uh, come, coming to you, Professor Tom Singani. It's very, very, very concerning the the kind of direction that we're going to. I wasn't thinking that we actually take on this particular element that we're speaking to. But also, um, now we're talking about the issue of uh, how these traditions and cultures have morphed into something different over time, and. Uh, in contemporary life, it seems that uh, Western lifestyle has actually taken over and actually has tainted where we come from. How do we demystify these myths that are around these traditions around uh, marriage? How do we uh, find ourselves going back to the origins as highlighted there by Tsulufelo? Um, first of all, I think all of as I look, you know, have been looking at the problem because mm-hmm. um, the colonial scholars, including missionaries, uh, tended to write about some of these cultural practices and um, exaggerated and misinterpreted them. Now, when you go into education, the literature that is there up to today is still the literature by colonial and missionary scholars. Mm. People who promote Mm. students at universities are still some of those, including Africans, who continue to repeat the stuff that was um, written by colonial scholars. Because, uh, I mean, I've been here for for years. If you were to challenge some of these scholars, you you wouldn't pass, you would fail. Mm. But I think what should happen is... Now that at least in certain areas, um, like for instance, um, Sibanda has got an institute, and um, there are now professors who are in charge of departments, it's high time that they start to introduce students to these kinds of topics. Uh, it's, I'm very interested in this, in that, for instance, last week a student phoned me, and she said she wanted to write about marriage. Hmm. And... Uh, we have been interacting, and I said to her, what we need to do is to look for the problem, but come up with a solution. Because if you look at marriage procedural mm-hmm. terms, mm-hmm. there are clear guidelines as to what happens between the two families. Because it's not only two people who are getting uh, together Absolutely. into marriage. It's the families, it's the communities towards nation building. Mm. So what, again, we mm. need to do is that this should not only be left to scholars where we discuss at universities in English. We need to go to co- our communities where we discuss, as I said, with Mahoshi and senior members in the communities in African languages. Because if you listen to this terminology, when you analyze it, it's so rich, 
it's so informing mm. and uh, full of direction. Mm. So my point will be, we can always demystify this through workshops, seminars, by involving people in the rural and urban areas. Mm-hmm. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're speaking about marriages on the continent of Africa. Do you think that, uh, hey, we've, our cultures have been tainted and uh, actually have been uh, rubbished by uh, uh, Western uh, interpretations? What's your thought? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Another question I was asking from the beginning of the program, do you still think traditional marriages are relevant in contemporary Africa? We want to hear what you think on our conversation today. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the gateway to the continent and the voice of the African Renaissance. We're going to take a quick break. Very interesting conversation. We want to hear your views participate want to hear what you have to say on this particular area when we come back when i look at that big big word and that one there's another form of marriage that has been misinterpreted polygamy where does it fit in today in our societies dear listener would you like to be featured on our website send us interesting pictures such as those of people events or anything you think is unique and interesting Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www. .channelafrica.co.za and also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. This is Channel Africa. If you're listening to us online, thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za and our other online platforms. We appreciate your support. And uh, thank you also if uh, you are listening to us on DSTV. We are live on Channel 902. That's Channel 902. Our question today, hey, do you think that uh, uh, African uh, marriages are still still relevant in contemporary life plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero as guests today we've got professor tom singan who is the associate professor in discourse analysis at the africa languages department at unisa Tulufelo sanga also joins us from the center of the study of violence and reconciliation he's a community intervention manager there and advocate sabelo sibanda rather is the founder of the School of African Awareness and Ama Africa Akoto. Now, uh, let's move on to this very interesting one, very much demonized in some areas and also kind of uh, uh, also has lost its value in terms of what it actually means. Professor Tom Singani, in terms of polygamy, polygamy, is it still relevant today? And who can be polygamous in, in, in terms of uh, what was historically known because I know polygamy was something that was afforded to by royalty and only through royalty. What are your thoughts there? Um, I come from a polygamous family where we, my father had the first wife, my mother the second wife, 
and uh, I've got Wokotsumunene, you know, my father's younger brothers had that too. And I know relatives who come from that background. Okay. What I found interesting is um, you you would find that it, it, we, 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 it doesn't cause problems between the children. Though when you look into it, you'd find that uh, in the process of these marriages, there would be conflicts between the two wives. As you read literature, as you listen to songs, as you listen to stories, you, you, you would come across these problems. Mm. Um, but uh, on the whole, you'll find that as we grow up, we accept one another as brothers and sisters and look after one another. Mm. Under general, uh, we seem to accept it, but it does cause problems where sometimes you'll find that the second wife is sort of, um, you know, sort of sloshed in. Mm. Uh, there is no proper channel through which she comes in uh, because then the senior wife feels that her space has been in, in, in invaded. In the past, there were negotiations, and uh, now we seem to be having problems because uh, sometimes you do learn of men who've got uh, second wives elsewhere, not introduced in the family. Mm. And, and, and this causes problems to children because they tend to feel that you're not only cheating on the uh, mothers, but you are cheating on them. So I think what we need to do again, uh, because I, I still feel that I'm young on this topic, mm, mm. Uh, studying and going through it, we, we still need to sit and talk about this, find out what it was like in the past, uh, what were the benefits, because an institution can only benefit people when things are done right. Mm. If polygamy is done right, there might not be any problem. Mm. But if, for instance, the husband does it in order to break the first or second wife, then we've got a problem. Mm. Let me move that to Tsula Fellow because there's a lot of interpretations when it comes to the women that are involved in polygamous marriages. Uh, some people say they, they might not be able to be happy in those relationships. But I look at the president of the country, uh, President Jacob Zuma, and you look at his wives, there's, there's been a lot of stuff happening in the news. But sometimes you look at some of their wives, and some of them are, are happy. They look happy. They agree with the whole uh, custom, and they're comfortable with it. Uh, but uh, uh, how, how, do we, how do we look at it from a female perspective? Because some people would say, well, the women are not necessarily happy in those relationships. That's the main view that we would see in some of these things. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's about respecting the right for a woman to choose. Um, I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that women are not hom- a homogeneous group. Mm. Uh, it's not every woman who would love to be in a polygamist uh, a relationship. Yes, definitely. But it's not, <laughs> also, it's not, uh, some women would love to be in mm. a polygamist relationship. And I think for me, it's about the right for a woman to be able to choose. 
uh, 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 women should be afforded the right to choose whether they want to be or not. Uh, and also, like uh, 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 the advocate had alluded earlier on, that sometimes even in taking the second wife, you find that you might find that the first wife is not even consulted, Salted, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's just like you are there in a marriage that you, your, your weight doesn't even mean anything. Then that becomes a problem where women find themselves in polygamous relationships when they did not consent to it. So if you knew from the beginning that I would be one of many wives, then I don't think it's an issue. I think women, uh, we need to get to a point where women are not seen as minors, but as equal partners in a relationship where their weight also matters. If it's a no, then it's a no. If it's, it's fine, if we, have, we add core whites in the relationship, then so be it. Mm. Also, we've run out of time, but I want to look at this issue of demystifying because it seems to be the main thread of this conversation. seems to be that's what we're trying to actually lean to, and we didn't do it deliberately, actually. We didn't talk about this before this particular program. But Advocate uh, Sabino Siband, I've got a minute left, but um, just as we wrap it up, how do we as Africans demystify what we already have made normal and have actually adopted as the way to go. Just in uh, 40 seconds or so, your thoughts. I'm interested in your thoughts in that regard as we wrap it up. What we need to do, as um, Professor Antwingana says, is to do a lot of research. Mm. And the fellow is very right as well, that um, we need to understand that there's no homogeneity in a lot of these things. We need to go back and understand why we have these institutions and where the transition happened, and how can we get back to the proper principles and values as I can simply get stuck on the practices. Mm. Well, that's a fantastic way to wrap it up. Thank you to Advocate Sabelo Sibanda, founder of the School of African Awareness, and Ama Africa Akoto. Thank you as well to Tulufelo Sisanga, who is uh, the Community Interventions Manager at the Center of the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Thank you as well to the Associate Professor in Discourse Analysis at the African Languages Department at UNISA, Professor Tom Sengani. Thank you all for joining us on our program today. Thank you. Thanks to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Now, that takes us to 11.45. Hey, what are your thoughts? Hey, do you think that African uh, marriages are still relevant in contemporary Africa? Do you think that, hey, uh, Lobola is still relevant? Do you think that dowries are still uh, uh, relevant? Do you think uh, child marriages are still relevant? Do you think that uh, 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 marrying more than one wife is still relevant on the continent? Plus 27796957930. Plus 27796957930. Let's move on. It's 11.45. We've got Wissani Matebula standing by to give us our business news. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. South African arms manufacturer Dinel has for the first time been ranked among the top 100 global defense manufacturers. Dinel's inclusion was announced by the international publication Defense News, which ranked companies based on analysis of their revenue achieved during the 2014 financial year. Rulani Baloi reports. Denel has seen its revenue grow over the past four years from 3 billion rand to 4.6 billion rand. 
Donnell Group Chief Executive Ria Saluji says the company is now 56 in the world and the second largest defense manufacturer in the Southern Hemisphere after Brazilian conglomerate Embera. Saluji says as a state-owned company, Donnell's primary focus is to ensure strategic independence of the South African National Defense Force as well as to enable it to protect the country's territorial integrity and participate in peacekeeping operations on the continent. Rulani Baloi, SABC News, Johannesburg. Lesotho's Basotho Enterprise Development Corporation, Metropolitan Lesotho and Limkokwing University of Creative Technology have announced their tripartite agreement which is aimed at establishing a textile incubator in Teateaneng in Berea District. The three partners signed a memorandum of understanding which outlines the purpose for the partnership and the roles played by each partner in the joint venture. The project is going to incubate young entrepreneurs who have technical skills in fashion design and tailoring. And the Namibian government continues to be divided on whether to accept or block seabed phosphate mining after the expiry of an 18-month moratorium early this year. Phosphate mining is the process of extracting fertilizer from the seabed, a process described by some as a threat to the sea and the marine ecosystem. Namibia banned phosphate mining in 2013 pending an environmental study. But since the moratorium expired in March, there has not been any news about the way forward from the government. And the South African rent dropping half a percent to 12.86 to the U.S. dollar overnight, following a move by China to devalue its currency by a further 1.6% after a 2% drop on Tuesday. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange was 2% down in mid-morning trade following world markets on the back of the Chinese decision. Dimakotso Lishoro has more. China's POBC surprised markets today by devaluing its currency again after it had said the 2% devaluation was a once-off. China's yuan hit four-year lows this morning after the 1.6 drop that saw global markets tumble as investors feared that the world's second-largest economy may be in worse shape than originally thought. This, however, has made bullion more attractive as an alternative currency, with investors putting their money in gold, strengthening it nearly 1% in overnight trade to $1,170 dollars an ounce in Johannesburg and Burundi's trade deficit has widened to 354.4 million US dollars in the first half of this year from 316.1 million dollars last year this after the local currency weakened against the dollar and the value of imports increased the aid dependent nation where the economy relies on coffee and tea exports faces one of its worst political crises stemming from president pian kurunziza's decision to seek a third term dozens of people have been killed in protests against kurunziza's third term and that's how it's looking Musibudi Makura is standing by to give us our sports news.
Thanks, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with netball news, South Africa play defending champions Australia today in their second qualification match of Group F at the ongoing Netball World Cup in Sydney, Australia. This promises to be a tough match for the Spa Proteus. Head coach Norman Plummer coached the Australians when they won the World Cup back in 2011 and had this to say ahead of the game. Absolutely. I mean, it's about them learning against that quality, you know, and that's the quality they don't get day in, day out. And it's a big difference. Definitely um, tunes the player and sets them up for quality netball. Meanwhile, goalkeeper Adele Niemann says they need to show the world they can play against the best of the best of teams. Well, to give him a good contest, I think, would be the first thing. Um, we need to show the world that the Proteas can actually compete with the best. Um, and I think that's the, the most important. South Africa will face England on Friday. They need to beat either Australia or England to qualify for the semi-finals. South Korea's Shang Mung-jun will formally launch his bid to become president of world's football scandal head governing body FIFA. Zhang is a former FIFA vice president and fierce critic of outgoing president Seb Latta. The 63-year-old billionaire is viewed as one of the favorites for the job but faces stiff competition from Frenchman Michael Platini, the head of Europe's governing body UEFA. Zhang will hold a news conference in the next coming days to set out his vision and roadmap for reforming FIFA. Now to swimming news, Charles Leclerc, Cameron van der Berg, as well as Miles Brown got their swimming World Cup off to golden stance when the seven um, when the seven stop series started in Moscow on Tuesday. Leclerc was first in the pool, taking the men's 100-meter freestyle in 48.16 seconds. A race later, van der Berg scooped gold in the men's 50 breaststroke in a time of thir- uh, in a time of 26.96 seconds. At the men's 400-meter freestyle. Um, Miles Brown to gold. Swimming South Africa CEO Sean Adriance says the three produced an outstanding performance. I think uh, winning the medals is uh, excellent, uh, but if you look at the times that they swam, you know, particularly from Chad and and Miles, uh, both just been well below the Olympic qualification time, considering that we one year out from Olympic qualification. So, you know, so they can only get better and improve and ultimately, you know, they want them to get into medal winning range. Cameron's super performance in the 50 meter breaststroke, they in the 100 meters breaststroke, which is an Olympic event, and I'm quite sure he'll go very fast there as well. He's just been improving and improving steadily, so it's going to be quite, quite a monumental battle between him and Adam Peake every show at those World Championships to win the gold medal in the Real Olympic Games. And finally, in cricket news, New Zealand will be without some of their star players ahead of the tour of South Africa. But coach Mike Hesson is confident in the strength of his squad as the tourists look to replicate their one-day international series win from the last time they toured, this, um, they toured South Africa. The Kiwis are without Brendan McCullum, Ross Taylor, Tim Southey, Corey Anderson and Trent Bolt for a variety of reasons ranging from injuries to players being rested. But Hesson is looking forward to seeing seeing if some of his French players can rise to the occasion by replacing some of their more illustrious um, colleagues. New Zealand will play two T20 internationals and three ODIs against the Proteas, with the first T20 set to be played in Durban this coming Friday and the first ODI to be played in Centurion on the 19th of August. Those are your sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
Hey, link up with us tomorrow. We'll be back from uh, this uh, particular time from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock Central African time. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Hey, we want you to interact with us as well. So we were asking the question today, asking, hey, do you think that uh, traditional marriages are still relevant in contemporary life um, in, on the continent? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Can't also deny the fact that, hey, Africans have moved forward. We have modernized our ways. And, uh, hey, maybe you've got a view in that regard. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's our sms number or you can interact with us on uh, facebook we've got a channel africa page there just search channel africa on facebook or you can tweet us at channel africa one it's the number one at the end uh, so don't uh, type the word one but at channel africa numeric one uh, also you can uh, tweet us at african dialogue that's at african dialogue but until tomorrow from me benjamin until tomorrow god bless Number one and nothing less Lead me to my destiny I have waited patiently I have vision, though I believe I know I can count on me So stand up for the champions For the champions Stand up, stand up, stand up For the champions, for the champions Stand up for the champions, for the champions Stand up, stand up, stand up For the champions, for the champions Stand up Here we go, it's getting close Now it's just who wants it most It's just life, that's how it is Cause we have our strengths and...